Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Well, the resurrected King Jesus is on the move, and we see him doing these kind of works all the time where entire families are even turning to him and giving their life to Christ and being restored and some who had wandered away being brought back into the fold. And so it's exciting to see that. But Jesus rules and he reigns as the king because of his resurrection. Many kings have lived and died, but only one has risen from the grave. And many kings have had authority, but only one has ultimate authority. Many kings have worn crowns that display their power and their wealth, but only one has worn a crown as a way to serve. Many have helped the lives of people, but only one can offer forgiveness with God. Many have sat on earthly thrones, but only one sits at the right hand of the Father. Many have taken the lives of people, but there's only one that can give true life. King Jesus is alive. Amen? Well, because he lived a perfect life, the Lamb of God was driven by love to die, take on the wrath of humanity, wrath of you and I, standing in our place, satisfying what had to be satisfied, the wrath of God. He took it upon himself to save us from, her sin, from, from our sins, and that's what we celebrate today. And that's why we're here. That's what we're here to, to proclaim is that Christ is risen, and he is our king. And that's why we're here today. Well, if you brought a Bible, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 23? That's the text we'll be in today, Luke chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, we have you covered. It'll be on the screen. But if you have a device, you might find it on your device uh, by pulling it up there. It's easier if you have it in front of you and you can reference that all the way through. While you're going there, I want to extend a warm welcome to you. My name is Brian Wiggins, and I'm the lead pastor here at River of Life. And if you are new to River of Life, uh, welcome. And and we're thrilled that you chose to come celebrate Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday with us as uh, we proclaim Christ. It's the most important day of our faith. It's the bedrock of what we believe. And if you aren't a believer in Jesus, if you don't walk with him, if you haven't trusted him as your Lord and Savior, this is the day that we found all of our faith upon. What happened between Friday's events and this event where Friday when Christ was crucified to today when he rose from the dead and we celebrate that. The Bible tells us that if Christ didn't raise from the dead, our faith is in vain because we have no hope of being resurrected with Christ of eternal life. And if that is true, you can laugh at us, but we believe by faith that it is true that what scripture says about Jesus is accurate. And that's where our hope is founded. Well, I need to say to our church body, thank you for 34 hours of prayer. You may not realize this, but beginning on Friday evening, right after our Good Friday service, all the way through 630 this morning, when the sun rose, people from River of Life were praying. And God was stirring. God was was working during that time. I trust he met you during that time. Come tell me how it was for you as you prayed. I prayed early this morning and uh, had a chance to be with the Lord uh, for half an hour and just spend some time digging in, praying for our church body. And my prayer is that 
that God would hear our prayers and he would just sweep over our church like a wave of, of his work that, that would happen and occur across River of Life and across the Grand Valley as a result of, of us seeking him. That's not the end of our prayer. We're going to keep praying and we're going to keep pressing into him. Would you bow your heads as I pray one more time and uh, ask the Lord to be with us in our time of, in the word this morning. Lord Jesus, as we come in here this morning, many have been spending time with you throughout this week, preparing, even praying for this day in this service and asking you to work during this time. And God, we pray that you would work in all of our hearts, drawing us closer to understanding what the resurrection means for us today. God, as we've sought your heart over these last couple of days, uh, I pray that you would sweep over our church in a, in a movement and in a way where we see your work happening over and over again, where we would see whole families turning to you. Lord, that we would see large groups saying, yes, I want Jesus in my life. I want forgiveness in my life. And God, start that even this morning amongst us as we're here today, doing your work in the lives of people around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read the events of the crucifixion in Luke chapter 23 this morning and the resurrection of Christ out of Luke chapter 24, primarily focusing, though, on what happened in that crucifixion and how it applies to us today. Where we're going to pick up in the story, in what has happened here, Jesus has been, has, is hanging on the cross with two thieves that are on either side of him. They're with him. Pilate has convicted uh, or has said Jesus is innocent, but he's allowed him to be convicted to the point where he's going to be on the cross hanging in our place. We want you to, as we read through this, to read it as if you're hearing it again for the first time. But would you pay particular attention to this conversation that occurs between the two thieves and Jesus as they're together? And then we're going to take that and put it together with the resurrection. Because the whole package goes together. It's not just the resurrection. It's not just the cross. It's the events of this entire package that go together. So let's look in Luke chapter 23. We're going to begin in verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, Well, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But others rebuked him. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And Jesus said, or sorry, and the man said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I don't know how many times in your life you've heard that there are two, di two different types of people. A couple of slides to help us think through this. And I want you to raise your hand on which you are. 
On the left-hand side is the person who has all these unread messages. Your inbox is full all the time. The other one has it neat and tidy. Who is the one who has all the notifications you never clean it out? Okay, who's on the other side? The other type of people you've got, oh, look, we're pretty neat and orderly people here. You're different than first service. Okay, how about this one? One side says, I can drive 10 more miles. The other one, it's only a quarter tank empty, and they say, better get gas now. Who's on the side? I can drive 10 more miles. Okay, who's on the other side? I can get, I better get gas now. All right, here's another one. All right. There are some of you among us who do what's on the right. Okay, let's have some admission right now. Who's guilt? First of all, who takes the square? Okay, most of you. Who takes the bite just right smack in the middle? You guys add spice to life. Okay? Some of you are the one who in the morning, if you're sleeping until 7, you're lucky, right? But your alarm goes off at 7 and you're up and out of bed. Then you've got the other people who have the 7 o'clock alarm, the 725 alarm, the 735 alarm, and you're the snooze people. How many of you bound right out of bed? Boop, boop. The alarm goes off, you're up out of bed. Okay, that's me. Who's, who's the uh, snooze person? Okay. That caused a lot of conflict in marriage, by the way. <laughs> Matt would love to counsel you on that. Okay, another one. There are two types of people in the world. There are, there are those who like bacon and those who are wrong. <laughs> I won't even ask you on that one. That's the last one, right, Sean? In our office, we, Julie, who's from England, will tell you there are two types of people. There are those who speak proper English. And then there are those of us who are American. <laughs> we know which one is right. We're still trying to convert her to it, but, but it won't happen. Well, all joking aside, there are two types of people in this world that really matter. There are two types of people in this world. And if you look at this passage, the two thieves on the cross represent the two types of people in this world. And we all fall onto, into one of these two categories. Every single one of us sitting in this room, that's you and that's me, all fall into one of these two categories represented by these two men that are on the cross. There are three men that day. Two of them are thieves. One of them is Jesus in the middle, hanging there, being crucified The mob wanted Jesus dead, though he was innocent. Pilate has said he's not guilty. He finds no wrong in Jesus, yet the crowd wants him dead because of what they claim is blasphemy. And these two thieves, these two thieves are very different. These two thieves are what in society would be just insignificant people now. They're just hanging up there almost for the enjoyment of the crowd to watch what happens. As, the, as they watched what's going on, Jesus now joins in as being one of those insignificant people in the sense that he's dying. And as they watched Jesus, some of the people who watched what was going on there didn't even like what Jesus. They didn't care for him. And Jesus, though, was with the people that he most liked. Did you notice who Jesus spent the bulk of his time with? It was not the religious people. It's not the people who had it all put together It was people like these two thieves, and now he's literally hanging out with them. He's spending time with them on the cross, and there's a conversation that happens there. These two thieves, who are they? They're likely not just common petty thieves. These thieves are 
beyond that. These thieves are likely bandits that, that would be roadside bandits and would steal from people, and possibly even murdering along the way. They were bad dudes. They might have stolen Roman tax money, setting themselves squarely against the Roman government of that time. But they were not good people. You wouldn't want to meet these thieves in a dark alley. They weren't born, though, with tattoos and leather. These guys were born just like you and I with a sin nature, but we watch, I wonder in their life, if you were to watch their life, what it was like for them growing up in a Jewish community where they heard some of the spiritual things about who Yahweh was, about what it meant to walk with him, about what, about this Messiah who is to come, but how their life moved, lives moved from a place of being an innocent child to the place where Just bit by bit, decision by decision. I don't know what happened to them along the way. Here they find themselves as criminals being crucified. Headed down the slow, slippery slope that brought them into a life of crime. Perhaps you would look at your life and you would say, my life is kind of like that. Or you look at your life and you'd say, it used to be like that. Just decision by decision, step by step. You found yourself going downhill into this place where one day you wake up and you go, I can't believe my life is the way I am. It's empty. I find myself a dead man walking. And the hurts and the bruises you've accumulated along the way have left you in a place where you might not even understand yourself. You don't understand life, much less do you understand this Christianity thing that we talk about this morning. Well, these two criminals had no idea about the significance of the moment that they were living in right at that time. That was being played out all around them. That the Son of God was receiving the same punishment as them. That the Messiah was with them. God incarnate. Doing what he had come to do. The mission that he had come to do. Yet these three men find themselves hanging on a cross side by side. Their lives to everybody else were insignificant. No one cared about what they had to say anymore. In the state's eyes, the best thing to do was to just get rid of all three of them. To snuff them out. Make them pay by making them go away. Just get rid of them. And their words, as they hung on the cross, had little matter to anybody anymore. No one cared what they had to say. But there's this little conversation recorded among the three of them that is so important for you and I to understand and hear today. This little conversation that happens that, that happened that probably very few people even heard. A conversation between them that was very difficult to have as they hung there and their lungs were not able to produce air very well. That every time they spoke, they had to press up and endure pain to try to suck in air and breathe out. That's why their words are so short and these brief statements back and forth between them. But it's powerful to us. It's powerful to understanding the resurrection. And so that conversation happens. And never before did the words of two thieves matter so much for you to hear and me to hear. These two guys had some significant similarities, these two thieves. See, their lives were very much parallel in a couple of things up to this moment. If you were walking on the same path and you consider that they're headed in the trajectory of where they're going, these two men were on the same path until a moment later that we're going to get to where it changed. See, what's similar about them? One of those things that's similar is this, is that both of them were 
guilty criminals. They've been tried in the justice system. They had the same outcome. They were both guilty. They were both going to be crucified. And we might look at that and go, yeah, they deserve that. They should be crucified. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Let's give it to them. Let's make sure they pay. Well, we may not have stolen. We may not be in a repetitive pattern of theft. But when we stand before God, we too are guilty. We are just as guilty as these men. You see, scripture says that all fall short of the glory of God. That's you and I. We fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death. I actually deserve to be one of those men on the cross. The Bible makes it clear to me. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. See, I want to tell you something. I don't want to admit this. And I bet you don't want to admit this. But you and I are a lot more like those thieves than we ever wanted to believe. We are a lot more like them. Our lives are full of of things that we would like to hide, that we would like to put away. And we are so good at justifying our actions, even justifying them before God, of, well, I didn't really mean it this way. When I was in high school, well, first of all, I had a brother that was two years younger than me. And we had a lot of fun growing up. But when I was in high school, my brother and I, we pulled off all kinds of crazy antics with guys in our youth group. And we did lots of fun things that were good, humorous things. And one day, my brother, when I was 15, so he, must, he was 13 at this time. He was in middle school. You can see, you'll understand when I say that, what happened here. So our youth room and the sanctuary were together. They were side by side. And in between the two rooms, there was this furnace closet that had those, those kinds of doors that have the vents on it so the air can pass through. And every week after church, my dad would ask us and talk to us about the message. He'd want to know that we'd been paying attention and he was just wanting to interact with us about it. So my brother knew that that was coming, but he had an idea up his sleeve with one of my other friends, Kevin, whose dad happened to be the treasurer of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Give, I'm going to throw him under the bus right now because he'll never hear this. But um, Kevin was, was along with us in this antic. So the whole youth group was sitting together in one area. And my brother and Kevin decide, we'll go spend the time during the service in that closet. And that way we can, have paid, we can hear the service, but we can kind of goof around and have fun and, and do some stuff in that closet that would be funny. So they're in there, and after a little while, the whole youth group starts, hey, did you know Steve and Kevin are in the closet? Oh, they're over there. Oh. And we start laughing, and they have in there, they find those, you know, those air poppies, those things for packaging? They have those in there, and, and they start popping them. So all of a sudden, we hear that pop, and we start snickering, and then we hear this little <laughs> come out of the closet and it turns into more and more of a laugh. And, and, uh, eventually it's gotten to the point where it's, everybody knows something's going on. And my dad starts looking around and Steve's not in the service. And we're like, Oh, he's toast. Dad gets up and he walks out and, and Steve about that time must've known they were busted because he and Kevin took off and they went somewhere else in the church. And a few minutes later, dad comes walking in. No words have been spoken. Steve told us later. And he just has his hand on Steve's neck and, and back like this. He walks him in and he sat down and for over a month. He had to sit with dad during this church service. The funniest part, though, was lunch that day. Steve was cornered, and he had to explain what was going on. But Steve was an ace at trying to come up with these excuses. So we sat there laughing the whole way through as he was like, well, we, we were going to hear the sermon. We, we were singing in there. What's the big deal? 
I tell that story because it's symbolic of what we do and what we get trained to do since the time we were little kids because it's in our sin nature. Just learning to make excuses. Well, it really wasn't that bad. I did part of what you asked for. And we, we don't see ourselves really how we are. The reality is we're a lot more like that, those criminals than we ever want to admit. In fact, I'm just like them. And so here they are. They're guilty, these two criminals, and they know it. And they're being crucified justly, yet with this innocent man, Jesus, in between them. And they're all under the same condemnation, which is death. One has a lot of good theology starting to emerge here, but we don't see it quite yet happening. He sees that Jesus is innocent and the one who can save him. He sees that this man, Jesus, has not done anything wrong. He knows about his life and he knows that that no wrong could happen. No one could ever find anything wrong with Jesus because he has done no wrong. Pilate couldn't find anything wrong with him. And that's exactly the reason why Jesus was the only one qualified to be in the middle in this situation. Neither of those two men quite saw it at the beginning, but they both had a need for a savior. I think most of us know we're pretty guilty. We just don't want to admit it most of the time. And so we hide it. We find every way of, of finding a savior in our life. So we'll turn to security. We'll turn to status or we'll turn to self-sufficiency. But the truth is nothing saves except the one who gave us all. Nothing else will save. And so one of the things that's true about these two men is that they're both guilty criminals and we're a lot like them. Another thing about them is that at first they both hurled insults at Christ. Luke, when he recorded this gospel, didn't include this detail. But if you look at Matthew and Mark, both of them lump the two thieves on the cross into this category that was hurling insults at at Christ. I believe that at first, both of them were doing that. Luke goes into more detail because he heard the conversation. He knew what happened. Matthew chapter 27, verse 44, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Mark chapter 15, verse 32, and those who were with Christ with him also reviled him. Luke doesn't mention this, but the others do. And they insulted Christ. They mocked him. They, they hated him in their hearts. Crucify him. He saved others. Let him save himself, they said. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Are you not the king of Christ? Save yourself and us. Everyone else was doing it. So why not join in, right? With the mob mentality. It's a great way to get your anger out, to point it at somebody else. And how about at God? Guys, we are a lot like that too. You see, even if we haven't hurled a whole bunch of insults out, we are born as enemies of Christ. We're born enemies of him. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, so shall we be saved by his life. Here's what's amazing about what that verse points out. Is that while we were still enemies, Christ did his work. He didn't wait for you or I to create reconciliation. He did it first. And the thief on the cross is proof that the most anti-Christian, the most antagonistic person who turns to Christ in faith could be saved. 
Nothing can keep you. The worst thing you've done cannot keep you from God's forgiveness, that he could extend that to you and and drop that into your life. But here's the miracle in all of this, that God could take an enemy and then use terms like this, you will be my friend. And not only would we be his friend, but he would bring us into his house in the sense that he calls us children of God. He adopts us as his children. What a remarkable change, a miracle change that that could actually happen. Another thing that was similar about these two men that were hanging on those crosses is that both of them were watching what was happening with Christ, how he responded in those moments. I wonder about the one thief who turned to Christ. What began as that turning point for him? Both of those guys heard the same things. They watched Christ the same way. They had heard the things that, that had been talked about all throughout Israel. As, that, as Jesus had preached, the rumors about him had spread. The, the, what he had been teaching spread. What he had done, his healings had spread. They must have known a little bit about him. But they watched the same things as Jesus took on the anger of the mob that went after him. As a lot of his followers abandoned him. And here being cursed and mocked and laughed at. Where people said, well, he saved himself. Let him save, or he saved others. Let him save himself from this point he's in. But his words and his actions in that moment must have been baffling for those two thieves. I believe that the turning point for that man likely came when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, I would have been wondering why in the world does he not get angry at them and fight back and hurl insults back and spit at them? There's something so attractive about Christ's forgiveness that it's so free, that it's so magnetic. It draws us towards Christ to to help understand that. I mean, I have a hard time forgiving my family when they lose the remote. (laughs) Christ in the middle of this is offering and extending forgiveness in the midst of that. I wonder if the thought went through the thief's mind. Well, if he could do that for them, I wonder if he could do it for me. But their similarities end right here. And there's a turning point in the text. I want you to watch what happens beginning in verse 39 and then this major shift into verse 40. One of the criminals who were hanged railed against him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But there's a change, starting in verse 40. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then the thief turned to Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Here's a difference between these two thieves. Is that one recognized that Jesus is God. You watch him on the cross and what he's doing. He's basically saying this. Dude, you just mocked the man who, who's extending forgiveness to mockers. I think that was where that turning point was. When he heard that, that forgiveness that could be extended. The thief that began to change responding with faith. He feared God. And we see that come out in him. He's even witnessing to the other guy on the cross. He's rebuking the other thief for not wanting to enter the kingdom of heaven. What are you thinking? 
They're going through the same thing. They're all being crucified. But one criminal saw something that was different about Jesus. He realized that Jesus could forgive him. Jesus is innocent. Yet they weren't. And right here, there's this moment that you might even be experiencing now where the Spirit is reaching down into the heart of this man and he's doing his work, changing him. He's causing him to see what he wasn't seeing before, that Jesus is God. And Jesus is the only one that could save him. There are so many times when I talk with people that I hear in their testimonies this repeated thing. And it's this. I made all kinds of assumptions about who Jesus was. Therefore, I rejected him and I put him off and I didn't believe and I didn't move towards him. But then I started to look at scripture and I started to read Matthew, Mark or Luke or John. And I began to see who Jesus actually is. I began to see what I wasn't seeing before. And when I saw Jesus for who he was, faith emerged. And suddenly I believed too. When I understood and I saw him, that's the thing that was happening with this criminal. And here Jesus is innocent. He's been that he is there to complete the mission that he came for in order to be the perfect sacrifice for them. He's here to take the wrath of God upon himself. And he can do that because he's perfect. Now the thief doesn't have the full theological picture. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Nor does he even know this down the road what, what, what's going to come of all this. But I think in his head he must have been thinking along this way. Jesus really is the Messiah. He could save me. He could do it in me. There's another difference between these two men. Again this is where their paths go even further apart. One realized that Jesus had a kingdom beyond the grave. Only one of them realized that Jesus had a kingdom beyond the grave. The one thief that, be, that was changed, that was saved, said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's as if he was saying, when you die, when I die, I believe that there is life afterwards. I believe that this is what you taught. I do believe that you have the capability and ability to take me into your kingdom. That there really is eternal life that I could have. But in order for you to do that, in order for there to be eternal life, I also believe that you must physically rise from the dead. He had heard about it. He would have heard about it because it was preached all over the, all over the region. He would have heard throughout Israel the phrase, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The disciples preached it. The word had spread. And now I believe that in this moment, likely the pieces were all coming together as the spirit helped him realize what was going on. He knew this, but the other thief refused to believe in this moment. King Jesus is not a king over geographic territory right now with borders. He's king. He's Lord over the earth and over the heavenly realms. And little did they know how powerful Jesus would display his power just a few days later. How powerfully he'd display that. Though he looked beaten and weak and torn and tattered up on the cross, as his bystanders looked on and mocked him, the grave would not hold him. There was a kingdom beyond death. Death wouldn't be his end. Because he is God in human form. He would not be bound though by that. He would rise from the dead. He would win grace for new life for you and I. 
He would give that to us through his resurrection. He would ascend to heaven where he is now, sitting at the right hand of the Father, preparing a place for us. And one day he would return. He will return and he will bring things to a close. He will bring his own to himself and he will judge. He offers new life to us, both for the future and for now. To transform us, to rescue us from the bonds of sin this brokenness, this pain we feel in life, porn and infidelity and lying and pride and all the things that we experience in this broken life, he came to breathe life into, new life. Well, the thief didn't have the full picture, but he's beginning to understand a few things here. And in that moment, you see faith begins to emerge in him. And these men head in different paths and one is headed towards an eternity with Christ and one is headed toward an eternity separated from God, an eternity of pain. But I love the reassurance. He doesn't just get reassurance. He gets more than he even asked for. Jesus says to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't it reassuring if you're a follower of Jesus that when you die or when you have loved ones who die who know Christ as their savior, we're immediately in the presence of Christ. Scripture tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Death isn't the end. There's a kingdom on the other side where we can be in paradise with Christ. But the picture gets fuller and the roads separate between these two men. One was saved in the end. Jesus told that man, today you will be with me in paradise. So what is the result of this conversation that happens on the cross? Well, one, the first criminal, the one over here who's rejected Christ all along, he bears Roman condemnation on the cross and he bears God's condemnation forever. And he deserves both. The other criminal, the second one, bears Roman condemnation on the cross, but no condemnation from God. He deserves the first, Roman condemnation, while the second is a free gift from God. And Jesus, who's in the middle, though he deserves neither the Roman condemnation nor God's condemnation, he bears both of those on the cross. And he secures for the second criminal who is every bit as bad as the first one, the free gift of eternal life. But we need to add something to that statement on the screen. One man was saved by grace alone. He was saved by grace alone. One of the main points of this story is the example of salvation that's based on, on grace and not by works. Think about it. This man who's been responding in faith has no time to get down on the cross and be baptized. He has no time to come to River of Life and join us for some services and, and be a part of the, the church here. He has no time to make restitution for what he has stolen, nor to go back to people and make things right. He doesn't have time for any good works. He can't do anything about the Ten Commandments. But this is shown to show us that God would accept him and forgive him. He doesn't have time. This is it. 99.9% of his life is known as sin. Maybe he has a half an hour left. And none of those things that I just listed to us can ever save him, but they can never save you either. There's nothing you can do to earn your way to be okay with God. Nothing. There's no way you can free yourself from stuff to clean yourself up enough to be okay with God. 
And I suspect that many of us still wrestle with that. Wrestle with thinking, well, if I could just get good enough in some way, if I could just stop doing that, then maybe God would, he would take me. He'd accept me. But grace is free. 100% free. And this stands as an example. Here this thief on the cross went to heaven without ever living the Christian life. Because entering heaven does not depend on how well we live the Christian life. If that were true, guess what? None of us would make it. None of us would. We can't live a Christian life well enough to deserve heaven. Heaven does not depend on what you do for Christ, but only on what Christ has done for you. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. When you reach out to Christ in faith and in repentance, he accepts you unconditionally. He doesn't say to you, well, I forgive you, but I'll be watching very closely to see how you do from now on. Don't mess up. He doesn't put you on probation to see if you screw things up in your life. The thief's promise was unconditional and it was crystal clear. His entrance into heaven rested on Christ and not himself. And here's another amazing thing, his identity. We still know him as the thief on the cross. And that's okay. Because his identity is actually the thing that once disqualified him. But it is the very thing that shows that Christ's grace is absolutely amazing. I don't care if you call me a liar or or whatever from my past. Because Christ's grace, Christ's love, his mercy that was extended to me. This man, this thief on the cross is now known as a trophy of God's grace. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. There are three crosses in this story. And those crosses tell a story. Those, that story on the two thieves is a story about two kingdoms. Those who are in the, sorry, about one kingdom, those who are in the kingdom and those who are not. One man who is not in the kingdom refuses to admit that he's a sinner He refuses to admit that Christ is the son of the living God. He refuses to admit that Jesus is the Christ. That Christ is the sinless one. He's under condemnation because he's proud. He thinks possibly that there's another way. But on the other side, on the other side is a different man. A man who recognizes who Jesus is because he's heard about it. And now the pieces are coming together. That Jesus is the son of God. That Jesus is proof that, that God can save. Jesus is the sin bearer of the world. This is the one who I can put my trust upon. Who I can place all my sin upon. And who can lead me into the kingdom beyond the grave. Anyone who believes upon Christ passes from life. Sorry, from death to life. And that's the gospel. In order to go from death to life. You have to go through the cross to recognize what the cross represents, to recognize that I deserve that death, that someone stood in my place, taking my place, that that one who stood in my place is the sinless son of God and his righteousness could be applied to me to make me right with God. Showing in his resurrection then that he has power over sin and death and I can do nothing to save myself. 
A.W. Tozer was preaching to his congregation one day, and he said this, challenging them. Every man will have to decide for himself whether or not he can afford the terrible luxury of unbelief. It's true. Can we afford the terrible luxury of unbelief? Jesus can provide assurance because of his resurrection. It's the ultimate proof that he can, he can save us. And that's what we're here to celebrate. You have to get, go through the cross to get to the resurrection. And so the story we know doesn't end on the cross. Jesus is buried for three days and in chapter 24, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his his words and returned from the tomb and told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. You see, that chapter then goes on to describe Jesus' appearing. How he went to the disciples and he began to explain to them throughout scripture how the pieces came together. How they fit together. And from that moment on, they could see their eyes were open. They understood it now. The Lord is risen indeed. And he gives life. He gives resurrection. Romans chapter 1 verse 4. Jesus Christ was declared to be the son of God. In power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace. See, the cross is all about death. And the resurrection is all about life. You won't find eternal life or new life without going through the cross first. The life of Christ given up for you. The life of Christ continually given up for you as if you're a follower of Jesus. That it continues to be the place we come back to. The way to eternal life is through the cross. If you don't know Jesus, the way to being saved to eternal life is only through the cross. Not your good works. Not any other religion. Not any other thing you can do. It's only through the cross. You have to go through it. You don't have resurrection without the cross. The cross is only important because of the resurrection also. So we're faced with a decision if you don't know Jesus. There are these two thieves that were on a cross hanging. And the question, this place that we are left is, which one am I? Am I the man who will reject Christ? Or am I the man or woman who will trust Christ in faith? And I wonder what the Spirit of God might be doing right now on this Easter Sunday in 2019, right in this room, knocking on the door of your heart, saying, come, let me in. Is God working in you? Is he causing you to come to this place of, I believe, I will place my faith and my trust in him. Many of you have done that already. Many of you have trusted Christ as your Savior. The way to new life is through the cross. The way to keep experiencing Christ's new life in you is through the cross. Grace allows you to face your sin. 
and to own it and to not shift the blame. It can be exposed at the cross because the cross doesn't ask you to pay for it, but instead it cancels it by the sacrifice of Jesus. That burden can be lifted and you can celebrate and you can move forward. You can look back and not be ashamed of your past while at the same time looking forward to what Christ wants to do in you. It's only by God's grace that he gives to you that you can look both directions. And if you're a follower of Jesus or you're about to be a follower of Jesus, you know what he said to us? And I want you to hear some of the last words we, I preach on Easter Sunday morning. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. Would you bow your heads with me? You've been prayed for as you came in this morning. That God would do a work bringing the resurrection, the cross and the resurrection to life. If you've never trusted Jesus as your savior, but the spirit of God is stirring and working in you right now. And you are believing and you're saying, yes, I trust him. What he did on the cross. Could it be that he would forgive me too? Would you place your trust in him right now? I want to lead you in a prayer that can give you, I'm just going to give you some direction. I'm not even going to give you the exact words, but I want to give you some direction. If you are trusting Jesus for the first time, if you're believing, if you're saying there's faith in me, would you call out to him and admit that you're a sinner and that sin separates you from him? And apart from, from Jesus, that sin is just, it's a filthy mess and you're, you feel the weight of it. Confess that to him. But Jesus steps in and has died. And could it be that he would forgive you too? Call out to him. Ask him to save you like the sinner on the cross, the thief on the cross. Would you remember me when you go into your kingdom? Let him know you understand it's only by his death and his resurrection that you could even call this out. And ask him to save you. Everyone's eyes are closed right now. And I would wonder if you would just trust me enough to let me know if you have trusted Christ as your savior this morning for the very first time. Or return to him because you've been wandering far from him. Would you just do that by slipping a hand in the air so I could see you and, and pray for you? God's working. On a morning like this, God's stirring and he's, he's helping us understand and see it. And the pieces come together because his spirit does it. And if that's you this morning, a couple of things that might help you is this is not about now taking on a bunch of new things to do. This is about building a relationship with Christ. And a relationship is built as you spend time with him. And one of the great spots you might go to see who Jesus is, to see what you weren't seeing before, is start in the book of John in the Bible. If you want a Bible, there's a bunch of Bibles in the back on a shelf uh, as you go out of here. Grab one. I don't care if you take one. You can have it. But take that Bible. Start reading John. And be with us here because we want to help you as you continue to grow in the Lord. Share that with a friend, what you've, what, what's happened in your life today. And share that with a friend. 
Father, you are stirring and you're at work. You're saving people. And just like Jackie held up that sign, came to church for a wrong motive, got saved. We praise you for doing that. Praise you for giving resurrected life to us. Jesus, you are worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise for all that you've done, extending grace to us freely and freely given, freely received. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.